You're listening to The Sauna Show, a podcast that explores new ways to combat modern life and reclaim your health and vitality. We connect you with real people who are doing epic things by their own design. My name is Sebastian Mirau and I am the co-CEO of Clearlight Saunas International and a passionate entrepreneur and health enthusiast as well. I'm sitting down with scientists, holistic health practitioners and changemakers in the wellness space who are making an impact to talk about all things detox, health and happiness. Hey everyone, today we had Johannes Egberts on the show, another Johannes, and he he's an avid biohacker from the Netherlands and a certified Wim Hof method instructor as well. And uh, hey Johannes, you you know a little bit about, about the Wim Hof method and, and breath work in, in that area as well, hey? Hey Sebastian, I absolutely do, and that just doesn't come from the fact that I'm also called Johannes, but um, I think... <laughs> You know, the topics that Johannes experts actually covered are, mm. you know, they're all quite, I think, similar and linked together. So Wim Hof instructor is obviously a certain breathing technique um, on how you can actually, you know, increase your oxygen intake into the body. And then, you know, he's also a yoga instructor, you know, he's a free diver and, you know, all of that actually really strongly links back to the breath. Um, so, I, you know, I know that he's a master when it comes to breath work, you know, really understanding what the breath and what, you know, what oxygen CO2 actually trigger in your body when you when you practice that. And uh, obviously, you know, with, with us for our saunas, um, you know, it, it, although it's obviously a different health tech, uh, you know, it also contributes to a healthy lifestyle. Mm. And I think we all know, actually, that if we're stressed and, you know, sort of feel anxiety, what usually helps is just to quiet the mind, you know, sit down for five minutes, you know, take a few deep breaths and, you know, Johannes is the right person to, to learn this, um, but also to speak with him about it, you know, because he is, he's just mastered all the different breathing techniques. So without further ado, enjoy. So welcome on the show, Johannes. So glad to have you here. Um, I know you do so many different things, but I think one of the main things that you have been focused on over the last couple of years is definitely the breathing technique and really perfected that as well as going into an ice bath and getting certain modalities going and, and mm. experiencing, I guess, amazing performance, not only of the body, but especially of the mind. So um, I would love to talk about all of that to you if we have the time today. So Absolutely. thanks for coming. No, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So how did you get into that you probably didn't do the normal going into yoga going deeper a little bit deeper and eventually ending up with breath what was your way to to these modalities yeah bits bits and pieces bits and pieces and i'd like to say that it came out of just you know that divine inspiration and i just wanted to find more but it's more a path of desperation if anything like i really needed it and so it's one thing that i really struggled with throughout my my childhood and my my early 20s and, and things like that was the self-regulation so you know managing myself through the day, managing my states, managing my emotional states and yeah. just the way I felt and, and therefore like the way I reacted to people and to the world around me. And I really, I really had a hard time with that from early on. And I think that when I found breathing in particular, and it, it's going to start with me doing more yoga and then the route of free diving, which really helped me oh, look cool. inwards and, mm -hmm. and, and use different practices like that. Um, but that was the biggest thing for me, getting some control and, and with it some, some knowledge some understanding of things like my nervous system and like how my brain works and how it regulates with the world outside of me and, and yeah. therefore how I come into being and how I sort of manifest my life and my experiences. Yes. Yeah. So b before you found that, like, what would be, like, would be a typical thing that you would say went really wrong in your life? Like, would it be like, I could think like for myself, it would be probably mm, binge TV or, you know, play a lot of computers or taking drugs. Would you say that was sort of what it is or other things? I would say so. So I would say overwhelm is a common denominator. Ah. I felt insecure that life was overwhelming. Yeah. Right. It was always too much. And I couldn't sort of deal with it. Right. And in the classical school system, like we have in Europe or, or sort mm. of any Western country that didn't really work out so and then there was cases of like ADD and ADHD and prescription medication and all these kind of tracks that you don't really want to want to go down and it's yeah. also not really helpful for a kid in those states so it, it just was always ended up with me being reprimanded in certain ways or, or standing out or being different or having extra assistance or having causing problems right? causing <laughs> constant familiar. problems <laughs> with a personality like mine who's sort of a natural leader in those shapes too it's causing problems for other people right and sort of yeah. having that that infect stage right and sort of always coming into situations and and doing sometimes more harm than good mm. as i came in and then you know the results that that brought brought me through through doing that and i think that 
some things in there you, I don't want to change and, and they're not necessarily there for me to change, but it's about flipping a more of a positive light on it. Yeah. You know, I'm still affecting a lot of people, just not infecting them <laughs> so much and sort of bringing myself into situations, but with a bit more of a positive light and, and just a bit more of an honest way of looking at things. Yeah, a bit, hey? Mm. Yeah. So, so how did you get to it? Did you just see a post at one stage on the yeah. side of the road? It's like, this no, will change your life. No, good question. I think <laughs> the big, a big place where it shifted for me was learning the Wim Hof method, was really getting okay. deeper into, into yeah. that practice in particular. And I, I, I found it when I was actually dealing with a lot of sort of personal tragedy. You know, I had some traumatic experiences, really, and I, oh. I, I, I couldn't really share. There was one thing that... You couldn't shower? <laughs> I couldn't share. Oh, share? <laughs> share, yeah. Just as a young man, I couldn't speak about what was going on for me in my life. Yeah. I, I couldn't openly sort of share and, 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 and digress those kind of things that happened to me, right? So I was very right. carrying it. I was carrying it very physically. Yeah, I was yeah, almost yeah. somatically holding on to, to some of these, these issues in the tissues, as you might say, right? And then I didn't have a method of, of dealing with that. And then when my brother actually introduced me to, he was working for the first cryotherapy studio in Amsterdam. This oh, wow. Five years ago yeah. or so. And he introduced me to that practice, right? Where you get really cool and you really get into your body, right? And I remember being in that cryotherapy studio and it's, I think it's minus 120 it was and you're standing there like fully in this big freezer and i just remember my tears freezing onto my face yeah well because right? it broke down some of those layers that i was holding onto and then the same with the breathing practice that sort of accompanied it it actually opened me up in a certain way and it allowed me to process emotion and then that became my own practice that became something very personal that became something i actually started doing every single day because it was my only way to, to tune in right and to get some of that self-regulation and to just get a connection to something deeper within and then slowly from that I started sharing it with other people and, and talking more about it and bringing it into different practices and different situations huh. up to the point where it became a group practice and then I think that's really where the magic happened because then you do get to share and you do get to express and you do get to see yourself reflected onto other people and now and speaking about these things openly and teaching mm -hmm. it to other people on sort of a large basis yeah um, it's just evolving so can you see other people in, in a similar space when they come to you where they Whatever the whatever they can't can't share or whatever then would you say that if you can't share you're actually not in touch actually with with that yourself and therefore it's it's not really it's so hidden because you actually don't touch touch it yourself or do you know why you don't it's it's a good question I think we're not really taught in 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 our in our Western ways okay. or in school about yeah. how to open up and how to speak about emotions and mm -hmm. you know the culture that we're from Germany and the Netherlands yeah, yeah. sometimes not very different no can be quite stoic right and can be yeah. quite quite inwards and quite a heady sort of way of, of doing things and and and, yeah. and and talking about life right so my parents weren't the greatest example mm -hmm. uh, the people around me at school weren't the greatest example so I never really really learned those things um originally but in terms of who this attracts and, and the, the range of people is is very big but more recently what i've been sort of interested in and who i've worked with quite a bit are people that are sort of ex-military in huh. australia and in, in america and the united states too. yeah so ptsd is um mm. is a big topic that Post i'm very interested in and traumatic yeah. stress post-traumatic stress disorder and you know with ptsd we automatically think about the two big things which are rape and and military right those are the huh. two things but in research, it's actually been shown that 56% of PTSD cases are actually related to personal tragedy, right? And that means that it's yeah. not just those extreme situations. It means that we all deal with these, these yeah, tragedies, yeah. right? We all deal with trauma and we all deal with unprocessed emotions and things. And I do think that sharing kind of what we were saying is, yeah. is important with these cases and bringing it from that space of where it's just me and it's hidden and it's guilt and it's shame into an open space mm. where it's seen and it's vulnerable and you realize that it's actually not just me. It's actually no. all of us. Yes. Right? Yeah. No, we had a suicide recently in our family and it was amazing how many people actually had had experienced it, but not necessarily dealt with it, mm. which meant that when people, you know, wanted to comfort us, there was also that whole layer that came out in them actually mm. ex having experienced it and, and sharing what they experienced and talking to you right now, I'm thinking maybe they had never really or only to a really small degree really shared what that meant but now they had something to relate to and so they mm. did but um i definitely relate to how much how many more people there are that have some some or other issue that is actually quite impacting on their lives yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and, and not just on their lives like the, the sad thing about cases of ptsd or, or trauma in any way is that mm. it, it affects everybody around them it affects mm. the community at mm. a large and therefore affects everybody Mm. Right. So we, we all get affected by these situations. But to, to sort of bring it full circle, 
um, what that might look like in the line of work that, that I do is that initially we teach people some of these breathing methods and some of these things like the cold exposure and getting out, connecting to nature, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Learning to breathe, learning to process some of these emotions through yeah. that. And not everybody needs that, but it's beneficial yeah. for everyone. And then it starts to open up some of these vaults and some of these things. And, and we see people, you know, people cry sometimes when they do practices like breath work mm -hmm. and it really gets them in touch. And it also gets them to a calm, beautiful, like tranquil state, which they might not have experienced for a very long time, right? And it's always the right place to then move from and then have some of these conversations. Oh. And I think that's something that I'm quite passionate about. Yeah. Um, especially in my, in my retreats and, and programs like that, where we bring people into nature, into that secluded environment. And we do a lot of these practices. We do a lot of breath work and we do a lot of immersions into nature you could call it and then we also have very honest open conversation and it seems to just be a really good yeah it's a really good um it really creates the right space yeah it really creates the right space for people to to have those conversations and then when it's yeah when it's facilitated in the right way and when we have the right people there it's really beautiful how you can see people just really transformed right. and changed that's such a different angle to what i hear many people telling me about about the ice bars and the Wim Hof mm -hmm. method which is more about you know it's really good for the body it's really healthy and you know I, I, I reversed this or that you know that was physically but yeah I can talk about all that too <laughs> yeah <laughs> the but age. the question I guess the question that I would raise is like so what comes first the body or the mind is it both and probably like you know I would probably swing towards it's probably the mind that actually let go mm. first and that really needed that ignition of 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 going in a different way it's a great and it's a great question yeah. right and, and one thing that i often see with the with the sort of body mind or body head um sort of analogy is that when we do have an overwhelming situation right coming back to those yeah. things when we do have something that we sometimes can't process when we need the little tools that we're talking about here mm -hmm. right sometimes it might not work for you to then sit down and do 20 minutes of meditation i mean that's the last thing i want to do when i'm in a fight flight yeah. state yes. or even worse when i'm in a yeah. free state it doesn't work for me to say, okay, now I'm going to sit here and I'm going to take a couple of deep breaths and I'm going to repeat my mantra because that's my head telling my body to switch off. With free state, by the way, you right. means like that you, that you don't know what to do and how to process stuff? Okay, so if we're looking at arousal in general, if we're looking at sort of the nervous system states, mm -hmm. it, it first shoots us into fight flight, yeah. right? Where it's either I'm going to engage yeah. with the situation or I'm going to flee from it, uh -huh. right? And yeah. it sometimes depends on your family dynamic that you grew up in, which one you're more... Um, and get inclined to, to gear yeah. towards. Like I have a fight dynamic mm -hmm. because my older brother had a flight dynamic, right? Huh. So I stepped in that way. And that's, that's, that's quite usual. And that's sort of the way that we, we move through the day. And it's, there's nothing wrong with it. We use it for work. And even the flow state sometimes is related to some of these sort of fight flight sort of areas where yeah. we're just a bit more active. But there's another one. There's another layer to it, which is known as the free state. And this one is really comes from like more of a reptilian side of the brain. It's more of an evolutionary process where... It's actually when arousal goes too high. So say there's so much of an, um, a dangerous scenario going on, right? Or there's so much threat mm. or there's something that's so overwhelming to us that causes so much arrival, we tend to actually disengage. So instead yeah. of going into real high state of fight flight, when that doesn't work anymore, we actually switch off. And this would look like in the evolutionary process, it would look like feigning death. So it would look like actually just going out of the body, disassociating and not uh, being there at all, yeah. right? And it's a brilliant process because it allows us to not feel pain. It allows us to not store memory. It allows us to not be present in those really dangerous situations. <laughs> and so, yeah, this shows up again with the, the PTSD, where say you are in the military and there's this really, there's this crazy thing happening and there's mm -hmm. bombs going off. Uh, oftentimes, you just won't be there. Wow. Your mind will leave the body. And it's, it's a survival mechanism, right? Yeah. You go into this freeze mode. And so people will say, well, I, I could have done more. I could have helped him. I could have been there. And they feel guilty about it. But the truth is you couldn't. Your body was so brilliant that it left the building in order for you not to feel the pain and not to process the emotion and not to store that yeah. whilst you were in that situation. Wow. Right? And the same happens with rape, where the people say, I could have fought, I could have fought back. Why didn't I fight back? And you couldn't. Your body was brilliant. It actually shot off. Mm -hmm. And you won't remember a lot of those moments and a lot of those things. So yeah. that's the free state. Yeah. Um, and what happens a lot with people with trauma, or actually with all of us, because mm -hmm. again, I think we all carry trauma, is that we go into that free state during the day. Right. We go into that free state at different moments. I go into that free state when particularly like a male dominant figure will raise his voice to me. Huh. That's something that I've associated with that from my childhood yeah. that immediately shoots me back there. 
right? And it's a very unhealthy state to be because digestion doesn't work in those states. Mm. Blood doesn't flow to the right places in the brain, so you don't have good cognitive function. And all these, these things don't work the right way. You're, you're purely surviving. Same in the fight flight. It's, it's good for a little while, but it's not where you want to live from. Mm. It's not where you build honest connection with other humans, and it's not where you have restorative function for the body. Regenerative processes don't work. So you want to be in that opposite, parasympathetic, mm. that calm state. Mm. So back to breathing and the practices, they can help us regulate that process. So they are little tools that we can use to get out of that fight flight scenario yeah. or out of that freeze scenario, even worse, and just back down into that parasympathetic place where we can then have a little bit more access to self-regulation hmm. and, and to these functions. So I think that's oftentimes the first step that we teach people how, how this works and paint a bit of a picture for them, because that really helped me a lot to just see this on a bit of a diagram and yeah. graph and just notice, ah, oh, so that's what happens. And ah, oh, so that's why I do that. And ah, oh, so that's why this doesn't work. And it really explained a lot. And then also motivated me to use some of the tools to, to learn to, to regulate some of these functions. Um, so we teach people this. <laughs> and it it helps them. I don't know how we started this original <laughs> conversation yeah. anymore. Yeah, no, I, I I can I can see sort of the red thread there. So you know, you were saying, look, you know, I I did that, and and you know, I wasn't freeze, mm. and then I would go into the freezer. Did you say freezer room? <laughs> did I actually hear freezer room? So I've got a, a chest freezer <laughs> yeah. at home. Okay, yeah. we're talking about the cryotherapy. Yeah, so cryotherapy, there's there's different ways of doing it, and yeah. you have these sort of chambers that are becoming really popular, where yeah. they're almost like a full body sort of capsule and your head's out of it, and it takes you about two minutes, three minutes yeah. um, to be in there, and they sort of freeze your body, and <laughs> they'll distract you, and they'll dance you around a bit, and you get out of there without even knowing it. But there's also different ones. The one that I did, they're actually big freezers. So those are sort of the freezers that you have in these like big kitchen facilities that you can walk into, so walk-in freezers. And you walk into one that's 90, minus 90 degrees um, air temperature for 30 seconds, and then <laughs> there's a door that opens into the big one, which is minus 125, I think it was. Wow. And they have sort of this music playing on ice, ice. <laughs> and the first breath you take the whole room just fogs up immediately no and yeah. you're just standing there and you just and it, it was so overwhelming for me this was one of the first experiences uh -huh. that i had i'd done some cold <laughs> exposure bouts in the past yes. as a teenager and as a kid but this was wow you know and you're wearing these og boots and this, this big glove <laughs> in your body and it's like okay so now i have to actually deal with it because this is going to take two and a half minutes mm. but i what happened to me initially was that it shot me back into one of those states i don't know exactly what happened but I started crying. I mm. got into my body. I got really into my body and I felt again. And I just remember the tears freezing on my face and that mm -hmm. thing and being like, wow, there's, there's something I have to deal with here. Right. Yeah. And this is somehow helping me. And then when I got out of that freezer, this is the interesting thing about cold exposure, it releases a bunch of endorphins. Similar to sauna use, it releases some of that dynorphin too. So all these feel-good hormones mm -hmm. get released. And so I remember that was actually me feeling good. And that had been quite a while that I felt good. And yeah. I felt in my body. And then they have these little rebounder trampolines. <laughs> so it's just bouncing around and you can bounce <laughs> up to the walls and you can throw things at each other. And I was like, wow, I actually, I'm here again. I'm, I'm home again, yep. is what it felt like. I'm in my body again. And it... It signaled that feeling in me, like I, I got to seek this out. Mm -hmm. I got to do this. I got to do more of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. So you, okay, and and then you kept kept just going back and experienced the cold and experienced yeah. your emotions, I guess. Yeah. Well, then I, I learned that there was somewhat of a method to the madness, and that, that this guy Wim Hof yeah. in the Netherlands was Dutch as been, well, right? Yeah. 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 And he grew up quite close to where I grew up, and huh. he'd been doing this for about forty years. So he was known for going into the Amsterdam canals when in, in midwinter when it's, yeah. it's ice cold and they're not pretty clean canals. It's sort of quite a, <laughs> a weird thing to do, but he would go even at night, he would go and have his own personal moment. And he was dealing with his own personal strategies at the time too. So he would walk to the canals and he would do just by himself, not to anybody, he would do 10 minutes in the canals and he would sit there yeah. and he would hold his breath in his ice cold water. And it, it must have had a similar effect on him, I, yeah. I, I figured, because yeah. it must have really built some sort of anti-fragility and resilience within him and also bring him into his body. And I resonated with his story mm. and with, with his ethos. And he was someone that didn't exactly fit into the system, as he, as he may say, and always kind of took his own path. And he'd been scrutinized quite quite heavily in the Netherlands and, and made fun of as well. Oh, like really? In the, in the early days. In the yeah. early days, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it, it, it made sense to me. It really did. And then that breathing technique that my brother showed me at the yeah. time after this, this cryotherapy, which was, you know, we didn't really understand it, but it was supposed to help me deal with the cold. It was supposed to make it easier. <laughs> it's kind of what we believed. It's like, no, this is how you do it. Yeah. It's like, okay, that makes sense. But what it really did to me is that it shut off all the voices and then again brought me like deep into my body and even into this place where I felt connected to much more than myself. And I was seeing lights and I was 
just having this really deep feeling of, of well-being, I think, yeah. is, was the result of yeah. it. I went through a whole process in that breathing. I don't even remember all of it. But towards the end, there was calm mm. and there was there was peace. And it made me realize, like, okay, it is available for me. I, yeah. I can get here, yeah. right? And I just come back from India, actually, <laughs> um, where I'd been you know, studying yoga and, and doing all these meditation courses. And I can honestly say that I, 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 I tried, but I didn't reach that state. <laughs> in the months that I was there and in the, the things that happened to me that might have, you know, disconnected me from that in the first place. But in just that simple breathing session, which was about 20 minutes, maybe 25 yeah. minutes, I got there. Wow. And I've been going there every single day since then. Yeah. And I really have. And so it's become sort of my personal daily meditation practice yeah. is really what it is, is doing this breath walk. And it was without even knowing about all the health benefit at the time. I, I, I knew it made sense to mm -hmm. me as a freediver. Yeah. Like, okay, this might help me yeah. with some of these performance aspects and it might build some more red blood cells and, you know, oxygen carrying capacity and little things like that. I was like, yeah, I get it. But that's not why I'm doing this. Yeah. I, I'm doing this because it makes me feel good. Yeah. And I think that's the greater motivation oh, about this. That's the best motivator, right? Yeah, that's you what know? keeps you coming back. Yeah. You know? So yeah. I tell that to people these days too. I can explain you for hours about how this works, yeah. but you won't do it because of that. Right. If I tell you do this breathing technique right now, um, which is going to build your, you know, it's going to build your breathing muscles, do this thing. Yeah. It takes 20 minutes. You lay on the floor, you do it and it's boring. There's a good chance you won't be doing it tomorrow morning. That's it. But if I show you this breathing technique and I give you just a little <laughs> bit of information and yes. background and you'll feel great tomorrow morning, you're onto it. Yeah. Right? And that's kind of where that journey yeah. begins. And it's a journey of self-inquiry. And then throughout that process, you can learn a lot about your respiratory system and it, it will improve. Right? Mm. with little tweaks and little bits of pieces of information you will become a better breather yeah. and it will make you a better human i believe it will improve your quality of life yeah yeah i guess society has changed over, over time from personalities that either shut down shut down and mm. you know won't deal with things and i think that that's i'm sure the most common thing that happened and then the people who are really diligent and and would go and study the you know the, the ascended masters whatever to to find tools to deal with it they exist but they're a particular personality type they're the people that you know that they don't mind doing boring tasks because they just like to follow a procedure but if mm. you think about the modern you know the, like our generation it's 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 a very different generation because there is so much choice so much you know so much is available that in order to get people to that stage, there wouldn't be the pain that drives people to go, well, they might try the psychotherapist or so on, mm -hmm. you know, so, so they will try things. But if it doesn't show results, I think it's nowadays way more likely that people just say, well, this is not for me. Whereas back in the days, like, well, I go to the doctor, it doesn't mm -hmm. help, but you know, that's what you do. And nowadays it's more like people say, well, this is awesome. Mm -hmm. I will do it again. There's certainly, I think there's just a, just a change in how, how, how humans sort of are, they're just freer. And therefore, they make the choice based on how do I actually feel, which is a much better indicator, I guess, yeah? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. It's a really interesting point. It's a really <laughs> interesting point you bring up because it kind of takes us to the next thing, which is the cold exposure. Because in in modern society, and especially today's world, compared to even one generation before us, yeah. it, it's much easier out there. Yes. And we're very inclined to just doing things that feel good all day. Uh -huh. And we have those options available. We can just chase dopamine hits all day long. <laughs> <laughs> we can really just be on Instagram and we can just eat chocolate and, and, and you know, I do those things. Don't yeah, get yeah. wrong. But yeah. it, it's really it's really very available for us to do those things yeah. constantly and not seek out those other sides. And I think that the people that you mentioned, those mm. seekers, mm. the people that have that sort of greater level of inquiry or that mm -mm. they traditionally I think they would actually seek out suffering, right? And that comes back from sort of the Buddhist days where ah this philosophy that, that <laughs> all life is suffering, mm. right? And so the aesthetic, the, the person that would go out, the original yogi, mm. would suffer all day long and yeah. would choose suffering so that then life couldn't touch them. And I think that's one thing that maybe Wim Hof has touched on in his own personal practice too, is he, he didn't do the easy things. He actually went out and sought out the difficult things because he wasn't enjoying that cold exposure. Ah. I think he was enjoying some of the benefits of it, yes. but not those moments. It's uh -huh. not like it was a pleasurable thing for him. <laughs> it wasn't like watching TV and watching yes. Netflix. No, it's, yeah. it's a quite difficult thing to do and uh -huh. people making fun of you and, and those things. But I think it's a bit of that original yogi route where you're seeking out that suffering, right? And you're, you're putting yourself into those situations. And so... That's interesting then, because with the breath work, it, you might actually get some of those dopamine hits that we're talking about, and the brain will actually release some of those cannabinoids and some of those endorphins and those things that are associated with well-being. But with the cold exposure, you, you do have to do it. It's not something that's easy, you know? And the breathing, you could actually say the same. You do have to do it every day. You do need a level of discipline. You do need a level of commitment, which is actually also a big part of the method, um, to get the benefits 
out of this, right? And so it does require a certain type of person to go and just do that every day. Mm -hmm. It does require that level of, of, I don't know, maybe it's that motivation, desperation thing again, where why do you keep coming back to this and why do you do this? Yeah. Because it's much easier to just take a couple of pills, right? One pill a day and then yeah, yeah. life's easy or you just go <laughs> and, and you know drink a beer or yeah. nothing wrong with any of those things in, in essence. Yeah. But it's different choices. Yeah. And Wim Hof has certainly made some of those more difficult choices, I think. And his method sort of implies that that's good. Yeah. Try some of those things. So in your courses, do you see more people coming because they're looking for something that sort of sorts them out and puts them on, on a track of, I feel healthy within myself and by the sounds of it, it's more the mind? Or is there still more the movement? Because often that comes from the people who are sort of understanding the physiology of, mm -hmm. of, 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 of the body and say, oh, you know, I want to increase my performance. Mm -hmm. And by accident, they actually realize, oh, I had a trauma as well. And, you know, that got mm -hmm. dealt with it automatically. Like, is it, is it one more than the other at the moment? I think there's there's a bit of both mm. and it's always hard to sort of <laughs> describe my 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 audience or, or, or my clients or such <laughs> but what i think is an interesting experiment is to look at the people that sort of come on the journey with me right because i, I do lots of these seminars I've, yeah. I've taught to i've spoken to you know more than five thousand people last year i think with oh, all wow. the big events and, and things like that but I look at my retreats and the people that sort of trust it and that feel what I'm about, right? And that's why they come. That's why they sign up in the end. And that's sort of the real sort of niche group of people because I work with CrossFit athletes. I work with you know yoga teachers and yoga students. I work with an elderly population. I work with teenagers. Oh. Um, I work with this whole big range of people and they all have their own reasons for trying it and for doing these things. But the people that, that stick to it, that really continue that, that journey, I think are people that are really willing to work on themselves. That's the one common denominator there are people that are yeah i mean that's quite a unique thing i think in our society is that you're, you're willing to spend you know x amount of money and time mm. purely on the focus of i'm going to better myself yes like that, that that's a small percent of people <laughs> like to yeah. us it's yeah, like yeah, yeah no, no, no doubt course. about it i, I spent <laughs> if i look at my my expenses it's all going into my personal development yes. in the end upgrades. you know um, it's all upgrades <laughs> like none of it's going to some of the, the other things um but that's a very small percentage of people people that are actually willing to say like hey i, I could be a bit better And I'm going to spend, you know, $120 to go see this guy and to learn this technique mm. and, and just to better my life yeah. a little bit, you know. And what brought them there in the first place is, I think, a different question. Suffering. Yeah. Maybe suffering. Yeah. yeah. It's a good thing sometimes to actually get you motivated. I, I'm, I certainly know for myself that, you know, things went not so well in my early years. Mm. And, and they always eventually really accelerated and you know elevated mm. me into a different way of looking at the world because mm. i needed to overcome it as long as as the, as the drive to wanting to do that and by the sounds of it there are more and more people who really are not willing to not be happy therefore they will seek out ways to to be happier hey yeah, yeah. i i resonate i resonate <laughs> and, and i heard this thrown around quite a bit and people are like oh, i'm very good at suffering you know that, that that's my talent and i'm like well I'm, I'm not. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm really not. I was always very terrible at suffering. I was unable to let a s situation to make me suffer last. That's why I couldn't stay in those cool situations. And that's why I've been moving around and, and doing all these different things and, and really actively seeking out different ways because I actually couldn't deal with having that low quality of life and, and suffering throughout my days. Mm -hmm. I just couldn't stand it. Yeah. And not even for weeks. I was just out. <laughs> and this is why I've jumped so many different places and situations in my life. Because when it wasn't good, I was gone. And I see many people that, you know, some of the menial jobs that I used to do when I was 16 years old. Yeah. Is scaffolding and, and working yeah. in like night shift jobs and, and situations like that in the Netherlands. And it's it's not always pretty, you know, some of those sort of blue collar type um, places. And I'd meet people that had been working there for 25 years, mm -hmm. proudly. You know, I've been driving this forklift for 26 mm. years and something inside me died when they said that. I was like, I cannot, I, I cannot, <laughs> yep. I cannot. And I, I was gone the next day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. That's, ex that's exactly, I remember being at school and, and facing one year more at school mm. and then I would be one of them. And um, I s that's when I became pretty good in school because mm. I just I, I needed to find something and for me the way was going to another school so you know so I repeated voluntarily just to get better at school and um and then I could go to another school have another three years at school because right. it was definitely well for me that was the best out of the cho cho uh, choices that there were yeah and then yeah. eventually I guess you know finding my path but um Yeah, and, and I don't mean to say with it that, you know, we chose a better path or anything like that. Oh, Absolutely no, but you not. just want that work for me. You yeah, know? I, oh, I, I agree. And I think that's that's a choice that, that we can make is like honestly look at 
what you do and 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 why you're there and and honestly decide like is this the best thing for me right now yeah no that, that wasn't meant just mentally because if i think about well you know i always reference my my gran who was a really really simple person like honestly not not very bright but the happiest person that i ever knew because she was just happy with what she had you know mm -hmm. like it was for her was about you know having friends over and drinking cappuccino i mm -hmm. mean you know she wasn't gossiping but she was just seeing always the positive thing and that reminds me on like it's not about what you do really but it's the attitude to what you mm -hmm. do and i've seen really happy people being in blue collar jobs or having new yeah. job it doesn't really matter you know but i yeah. i know for me it was this i was i was looking for i guess extension and to to exposure and i, I think especially in young younger people would would look for that you know and would love to see you know other other countries and you know have a good good challenge and and, and grow with it so yeah Ah, beautiful. My mom keeps keeps telling me this quote. She tells it to me like every year when she calls me. And, oh, you're here now. You're doing this now. You're in this situation now. And it's like, well, happiness is actually desiring what you've already got. And you know, <laughs> in the beginning, I was like, nah, no. But now, after like seven years of that, yeah. I'm a bit like, maybe there's some truth to that. Mm. Um, but yeah, if anything, I I, I like speaking at, at schools and, and sort of trying to work more with teenagers and things like that. Mm. And I think it's not about what you say, but it's about kind of the example that you, you show up as and to say this is what I did yeah. and this is also possible this is also a way and this is also a trajectory and, and just showing that um, I think that's quite meaningful mm -hmm. right so you have seen a big big increase of, of interest in the whole Wim Hof method and, and breathing techniques and, and so on yeah absolutely and, yeah. and with breathing in general as well there's you know it's not a new thing and, and Wim Hof is certainly not the inventor of, of breather it's yeah. been about for a very long time and there's there's many more techniques that are more in-depth and, and more precise and that will suit way better for certain conditions, but they're not as appealing a lot of the times. And they were kind of like a niche, almost underground thing that you'd really have to seek out if you had a specific condition, right? Like if you yeah. were suffering with asthma and you were open to, to look for alternative methods, you might stumble upon some of these things, right? There's sort of a Russian scientist that developed some things in the 60s and there's these esoteric like Indian mystics that were developing <laughs> some of these breathwork techniques that would, yes. you know, back in the 70s as mm -hmm. well. And but these things were very, they were very, they were very out there at the time. And I think what I've seen happening and what I've sort of felt and what I've been a part of and what I'm very grateful for is how Wim Hof has made it. He's almost made it sexy. <laughs> He's come in with this, 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 this attitude of like, <laughs> no, it's about you know being a better human and it's, what can you do? And here's a guy that yeah. climbed Mount Everest in a pair of shorts and you're yes. looking at it and you know he looks like average joe too he's not mm -hmm. like some some guru sort of yeah. uh, makeup he's just out there and he's saying these things and he's made it really accessible and he's made people take the first step to, to looking at the breath right into experimenting with these techniques and to trying this out and then it, it's this beautiful push and this flow into different breathwork techniques so we're seeing different techniques pop up all over the place at the moment and we're seeing people interested in in the breath and in the the massive potential that it really has and, mm. and so the respiratory system is often very overlooked um, by all performers and, and by all people that are just looking for how to human. Um, really, it's, it's something that you can't really overlook if you're looking really to be your best self. It's a big part of the equation. It's a big puzzle piece because oxygen is the currency of life, right? And how we process that is how we create energy, like at its fundamental basis. That's mm -hmm. metabolism for you right there. So it's important to look at that process. And I think what we're seeing with Wim Hof is that he's so popular and he's doing these podcasts and he's doing these interviews and he's doing these these massive movies and screenings and wow. everybody's seeing it you can't miss him you know you mm -hmm. everybody knows the name by now yeah and he's pulling attention into the breath which is amazing so he's, he's directing people towards this tool this medium right and what they do with it is, is their own choice but definitely over the last it's the method has only been around since like 2013 2014 mm -hmm. that's actually sort of gotten formulated that's about five years now mm. and it's just exploded Wow, and it's gonna keep going. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not stopping. <laughs> <laughs> Are there th some things that people should look out for? I, I'm, you know, having been in an experimental state for quite a while myself, and you know, so many different modalities, so many different diets, and so on. I certainly know now that some things that I was, that I was doing, was not particularly good for my body. And yes, you know, got my learning out of it, and now I'm smarter. That's great. Yeah. Um, but you know, like some pitfalls with something that you know from the outside certainly looks very extreme of mm -hmm. you know having an ice bath or you know breathing in a particular way especially if it's not guided by by an Wim Hof instructor like what are the things that people should look out for also bodily symptoms that they should look out for to just make sure that they don't you know permanently damage themselves yeah 
It's actually relatively safe. Okay. Uh, surprisingly enough, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to most people, because it, it looks extreme, and, and part of the you know part of the charm of it is that it looks extreme. Um, <laughs> but it's 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 actually very safe if you do it in a safe and controlled environment. So as long okay. as you feel supported and you feel safe while you're doing it, and you know, always have someone looking out for you with these ice bath type situations, like it's just not a situation that you want to get yourself in alone if you're not experienced with it, right? Just do it together with other people. It also increases the fun there. I think that's a good sort of rule that you can have. And, and, and with the breathing, the only real rule and the only real danger is doing it near water or just in circumstances where, you know, you passing out, which won't really happen yeah. in general. Okay. But it's a possibility. Yeah. It's always a possibility. Um, which have very negative consequences. And so <laughs> when you fall into the water while you pass out. Yeah. Well, let's say, you know, you're driving or you're, you're doing oh, these it. things. Yes, and right people on. actually will do this. People, you know, don't have so much compressed into that day that are like, oh yeah, I'm going to combine my Wim Hof method with hanging up the laundry. So I have two <laughs> flies in one stone. And it's like, well, maybe not. Yeah, right? That's yeah. Not kind of missing the point there. Um, but yeah, there have been accidents um, and there have been some very serious consequences of people, you know, looking at these videos and then going, oh yeah, I can swim on their ice. And it's like, no, you can't. Uh, <laughs> no, you can't. It's yeah. a very different process, very different practice. And so the number one rule of freediving is never, ever hyperventilate. You know, don't change the breathing in any way, shape or form. Whereas the number one rule of the Wim Hof method is not near water. So that's the big one. Don't uh, do this. Don't think that you can hold your breath and now swim underwater for a long time because you can't. It's a trick. Uh, um, and so that's that's the one danger that people should be very considerate of. Yeah. But if you're practicing the method and you're doing it at home and you know it will work the best way if you're as relaxed as possible. So find a nice comfortable position, seated mm. or laying down. Play one of those YouTube videos. You can play one of my guided recordings too and just give it a try and nothing can go wrong. Yeah, yeah, you have an experience and you get the most out of it if you do it in that setting too. So if you just do it in a calm, controlled place mm. where you're in control of the environment, right? Nobody's going to come disturb you and there's no sense of panic. And the same with the cold exposure. Do it in a place where you feel safe and you feel like you're in control to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that makes sense. Awesome. Mm. Y you're known as a bi biohacker as well, whether you label yourself like that or not, you are. Mm -hmm. And um, and you know, you, you probably use quite a few different methods that, that come out of, or that are nowadays labeled like that. They, mm. they might have been much older, but now they're, they're under the biohacking label. Mm. Would, what, what would be your routine? What would you say would be a very typical routine that you would um, have on a, on a daily basis that, you know, that would probably also fall into that? It doesn't actually matter. Like, you know, what, what, what is your routine? Yeah, good, good question. And it, it, it changes a lot. So yeah. I, I might listen to this in a few months and go like, oh my God, that's, that's not at all <laughs> okay. what, I, what I'm about. But because uh, for a long time, when I sort of did get into that biohacking sphere, it was just compounding things upon each other. So it was like, oh, well, I wake up at you know five o'clock in the morning and I'll do this and then I'll do this and then I get a bit of this and then I get a bit of this. And before I know, I was just a taskmaster on myself, <laughs> cracking the whip and trying to get 30 things done in the morning. Yeah. And they were yes. all positive things, uh -huh. like going out, getting sunlight, swimming in the ocean, doing my ice bath, getting in the sauna, yeah. doing some push-ups, doing movement, all these things, right? But it was just becoming too much and it was... It was, yeah, I mean, how you do anything is how you do everything, right? So that was a personality trait for me too. And what I find now is that I actually give myself quite a bit of space. That's what I try to do. I actually try and just slow things down. And to me, biohacking, it, 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 it really just means connecting to nature. That's the big yeah, thing for right. me. Yeah, right. And so okay. from everything I learn about self-regulation and about these different states is that it actually all comes back down to living in harmony with nature, right? And, and that's where health lies for me. So that's what I seek out. So oftentimes it looks like me trying to wake up at a natural rhythm. So not having any alarms in place, not having anything extreme. And ideally that is when the sun comes up, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? And so when I rise and then I also try to just get out and put my feet on the grass, I've got a little patch of grass at home and I just kind of put my feet on there and I try and get my eyes into that sunlight. Yeah. Um, which helps to get you, uh, reset your circadian rhythm, right? So that's kind of the first thing I try to do every single morning. And then it kind of try to check in as to what I feel like. And oftentimes it's still just me going, I have to go to yoga, have to go to a workout otherwise. <laughs> but I try to just check in and be like, hey, what do you, what do you want? What are you like? What are you feeling like? And sometimes I have to swim in the ocean. It's one that I really love. I live in, in Sydney um, and the ocean's beautiful. Mm. It's, it's really amazing. And the temperature's nice and cold now. It's like 14 degrees. So, so doing that swim in the morning, then doing somewhat of a practice of, of hot yoga and movement is one thing that I really love too. I've had a yoga practice for about five years now. I try and do that every day and stretch and move my body in different ways. And then it's usually ice bath time. <laughs> so that usually comes around... Um, sort of 8.30, 9 a.m. is when I, I face the ice bath. And so I have that at home. I have a chest freezer set Very up. Cool. It's pretty much permanently at sort of yeah. between one and six degrees. It doesn't really matter. 
Um, but it's always there. And uh, it's, it's sometimes that's good and sometimes that's confronting too because like, well, why don't you want to get in today? It's right there, you know, it's, it's <laughs> the thing. So I do try and do it every single day. Um, and I just try and be honest with myself when I'm doing it. And I just try and check in and be like, what are your fears right now? What are you, what are you resistant about? Why are you doing this? Honestly, like, is it, you know, is it just for the sake of doing it or is there actually mm. something that you're looking for, some intention that you have? Um, then I'll bounce around a bit of my rebounder. Ideally, or I'll do some some of these movements, some of these flows, or sometimes not. Sometimes I just rush into the day. But ideally, I take a bit of time just to warm myself up. And um, I'm a big fan of cacao too, like we're having here. So <laughs> ice baths and cacao are um, lately have been a daily occurrence. Uh, <laughs> try not to drink coffee. So the cacao really does that for me. Um, and then the day begins, right? And it kind of flows in whatever way. And I try to put pockets, I try to put moments into the day where, where I do check in. And you know, and it doesn't always happen. I sometimes go into a bit of that fight flight, or I go into a bit of that, you know, where I'm just overly focused, or I'm sitting down for two hours, which is not ideal, you know. Mm -hmm. um, but I try and check in with my breathing and use some of these basic breathing practices that I have. So I use some of the things like box breathing and a therapeutic zone of breathing, where you're just counting breaths and you're just using a certain rate of breathing. And I've got quite a few different tricks up my sleeve that I can use to <laughs> sort of calm myself down. And, and yeah. sometimes it's actually speed myself up. So sometimes I actually want a bit more energy or I want a bit more sort of focus or activation and I can I can use the breath for mm. that. So I try and check in at least five to 10 times throughout the day and just kind of use that tool, right? And then, um, and then it's all about winding down and there's a whole different set of practices <laughs> um, to do that. But, but yeah, trying to be in bed again at, at a natural time and, you know, the yeah. basic stuff, no screens, basic sleep hygiene. Um, I do have a couple of tools. I do use the sauna um, pretty much every single day. Unfortunately, I don't have one at home yet. So I go to, to <laughs> a public Finnish sauna. Um, yeah, that, that's that's about it. And then, yeah. Yeah, but the the real basis of that I think is is not so much that I'm I'm trying to squeeze in all these things. It's it's really trying to be honest with myself, but then working on regulating myself through the day. So I, if I look at it at that chart that I described earlier, where yeah. we're going from parasympathetic into fight flight, and I'd like to have a bit of movement in that chart during the day. So I'd like to, you know, I think for a lot of people it looks like waking up, and, and this is quite an extreme thing that, you know, sometimes I'm a victim of that too, where you wake up and immediately you grab Instagram, mm. right? And then that's just, there's <laughs> just no way. Like, I'm sorry, that's just going to bump up reactivity throughout the day, throughout life, and it, it's just not going to work for you. Yeah. And your brain's hijacked immediately. And so that sets you up for this this fight flight right away. And then, you know, then you get the coffee, which kind of does the same thing. Sorry, people take coffee very personally, but it's oh, it can they? be good. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I get into trouble for this a lot. Um, can be good, but you know, it's again, it, it raises a bit of that fight flight. It puts a bit of adrenal, adrenals into the equation and it it's gets strong, you a bit yeah. of cortisol, a bit activated, yeah. a bit of stress. And then you, you run into work and you get on the phone and people start calling you. And so you get up into this fight flight scenario and you just stay there all day, hmm. you know? And, and, and then hopefully towards the end of the day, you kind of have something that can wind you down. And some people don't, some people fall asleep with that phone in hand again. I mean, wow, I'm very far away from that, but well, not necessarily, but at least it's not me anymore. Like I feel disconnected from that now. Yeah, like yeah. I can't even picture that anymore that I'm doing that to myself or in the evening, I'm still sort of on that phone and then I go to bed and it's a couple of hours of sleep, which might not even be real sleep, you know, like I don't know what happens when you live like that. Um, so I try and avoid that. I try and avoid having that constant peak of that fight flight so that it looks a bit more like waking up and just being in that calm state for a bit than getting some of that fight flight because work's got to be done. You know, mm. I got to do some focus and I got to do a workout and I got to move and there's fun stuff that you can do too. You know, there's room for play. Um, but then also bringing myself back down, say when lunchtime comes, you know, getting some of that access to that parasympathetic nervous system and, and you know, little facts there that, you know, saliva production and all digestive function like from anything from that sort of enzyme creation in the mouth to to peristalsis doesn't work when you're in fight flight and yeah. that's you know so i used to have a lot of digestive problems um when i was always in that state when i didn't give myself the opportunity to then calm down before eating right and then yeah. breathing helps me do that it's yeah. kind of what i'm trying to get to so i use the breathing just to have me go down into that parasympathetic. Yeah. And then in the afternoon it can go up again and I can go swing a kettlebell or I can do, do some more work or have fun or hit the sauna and, and then I'd like to get it down again and, and mm. sort of start building some grass through the day. And so I use some different measurement techniques to um, to just check that out and yeah. I'm sort of geek out on that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so some, some details question there, flight mode or switch off completely when you have your phone? I go to the extent where uh, at least I'd like to. I don't always do this, but I, I'd like to not even have it in the room. Yeah, yeah. I like. I always go in flight mode. Uh, mm -hmm. I try and do this throughout the day a few times too, which is okay. something I definitely need to work on a bit more. Uh -huh. 
but in the evening definitely on flight mode and then ideally i hear a lot of people talk about this where they have like external charging stations you know for the whole family and everybody in the evening just puts the phone into the basket in the living room and it stays there and in the morning you can grab it again and i love that idea because it's it's not in the bedroom so yeah, for me if it's in great. the bedroom that's if it's nearby it's just eating up my willpower muscle because yes. it's just me having to then look at it and having to make the decision of going oh no i'm not going to take it and you know, you only have so much of that willpower available. So I kind of <laughs> just like to avoid situations like that. Yes. That's why I don't have sugar in the house too. It's because, well, maybe, and probably not, but maybe I'll be able to resist it. But then I, I that's going to just take effort. And I don't, yep. I don't want to make that decision. <laughs> I used to be a house sitter. And whenever I would go to other people's house, I would binge eat everything that was unhealthy. I'm so, so that, guilty of that. That, yeah. that um, was nothing left that was unhealthy or that I would con perceive as you know unhealthy and tempting. And then, you know, I, I would have a good r routine from then onwards. But to be honest, yeah. I was actually always looking forward to the first week because I would get all the cookies and you know, <laughs> all the other things until they're gone. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, you know, help yourself to anything. And you know, they mean it in the best of ways. But then yeah. they come home and they're like, you ate everything. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, you're saying that sometimes it's hard to get into the ice bath. Is it mm. similar to jumping into the cold ocean, which is afterwards you always feel good? That's. I think that's that's so true. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. that's definitely the case. And and that you know in the end that's what's going to keep you coming back. Like you do feel great afterwards. Yeah. It's it's really invigorating and yeah it also releases adrenaline, which is quite an interesting one. Um, okay. Adrenaline is a very interesting hormone. It's yeah. very it's very complex actually. But it's, it's related to dopamine. And also one thing it does is that it shuts off a lot of different processes. So one thing that happens with adrenaline is that it kind of overrides the stress response. So it overrides that cortisol burst. So it will temporarily sort of reduce cortisol levels, which th that's the kind of the nasty one. Right? That's the one that's the constant stress in the background, the, the builder yeah, right. that we want to get away from. And also adrenaline has been used as, as a vasodilator. So it opens, yeah. up, it opens up veins, kind of like the Yeah, similar like an infrared yeah, So right? if you do like an asthma, um, traditional asthma medicine is actually adrenaline. That's what the buffer is. That's huh. what they have in there. Yeah, but also it's been used as treatment for ADD. And and coming back, I, I'm, this is one thing I'm, I'm working on a lot and I definitely need a lot of work with is, is focus. Right. So so being able to just have consistent bouts mm -hmm. of focus and, and staying on topic and you know not getting creative and distracted like mm. we can do in conversations like this. <laughs> but, but it's great. But sometimes in daily life, it's it's not great, right, with some of the tasks. Yeah. And I find that doing that ice bath and releasing some of that adrenaline really helps me focus so it gets me in the zone um it's one of the things that i also keep coming back to it for so adrenaline would be probably would you would you um would your, your body create adrenaline and and um release that when you when you do extreme sports whether be because i'm just thinking about you know there's certain adrenaline adrenaline junkies and often you know th th there is some correlation between hyperactive people and so on is that actually their way to finding their balance by, by you know you know that's a really good question uh, and, and i've had that before and i've also had people tell me yeah it makes sense now it makes sense why i sought out all these crazy experiences like yes motorbike racing huh. because it, in a way it kind of balanced me out and i go wow. i don't know the answer to that question yes i'll be completely honest yeah it's it's way out of my my mm. pay grade um but I, I have studied adrenaline to a certain extent because it's actually it's a very big topic in in Wim Hof method because the, the breathing method also releases adrenaline and that was actually the one thing that was able to override Wim's immune system in that original experiment right where the classic one where Wim showed that he was able to fight off an endotoxia right so he was able to let E. coli pass through his body sort of <laughs> without having an inflammatory response to it so he was able to control his immune system at will and not so much because he was activating mind power I mean Partially, partially it was the belief that he was able to do it and, and the focus, the mm -hmm. level of focus that he applied to it. But what it showed in the results was that his breathing method actually released a bit of adrenaline, more adrenaline, right? And that would temporary, temporarily subdue the immune system slightly, which is what releases inflammation. Right? Wow. So he was able to sort of temporarily shut off his immune system by using this breathing technique, which in the lung cause released adrenaline, noradrenaline into the body. Now, they're different things, adrenaline and noradrenaline. They're actually epinephrine and, and norepinephrine. Mm -hmm. So adrenaline and epinephrine is the same thing, and norepinephrine and noradrenaline, <laughs> da -da -da, <laughs> the same thing. It's because it, it's because of this Japanese guy um, who actually invented adrenaline, and he sold it. So he sold it as his company was called, Adrenaline. That's what he coined it as. No um, way. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's an interesting <laughs> story, yeah. He also... Um, What's the, yeah, he also imported cherry blossoms to the United States for the first time, and he also made his own whiskey. 
which he fermented in like the traditional Japanese way, which became very famous. Same guy, like Tamazaki something. <laughs> yeah, really? <laughs> the guy who invented and the he yeah. yeah, right. He made a lot of money on it and then someone else ended up winning the Nobel Prize for it. Um, I think a German guy, oh, Okay, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, but he sold it as a therapeutic uh, thing. So it was a medicine almost for people. So adrenaline has these really interesting implications. Again, it comes back to that asthma where it then vasodilates and opens mm -hmm. up certain things. And we also know the, the EpiPens, so Epi yes. as in for epinephrine, adrenaline shot to the heart or, or to anywhere really, which then also blocks certain functions and it releases a shot of adrenaline, which is very useful for certain people. Yeah, right. Yeah. Fascinating. Fascinating, yeah. And, and, <laughs> and I've asked myself that question that you originally posed before I took it off on the big tangent no, no. Um, about, you know, does adrenaline then temporarily, you know, create states of well-being and do people use it unconsciously in their in their bouts of, of you know seeking out extreme sports and, and doing all these kind of crazy situations mm. whether they're actually hooked on adrenaline in a way i'd like to think yes um how it plays out physiologically i can't really answer yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh well, that's yeah. interesting yeah you mentioned a couple of other things in your routine one is the rebounders i'm a bit of a geek when it comes to rebounders are you more like a metal spring guy or more like a bungee guy because um, I, I definitely have my preference man i'm an ebay guy to be honest ebay i went on ebay typed in, <laughs> typed in rebounder <laughs> i just got one that was affordable yeah um, i remember that when i first got introduced to it this was when i was working on a health retreat in, in indonesia and um she had a particular brand of rebounder that was used by nasa and this was the whole story about mm. how the rebounder came into you know its place Best and its existence and world. yeah and how it would you know restructure the body from that gravity point of view and she had the really fancy one and i got into it and i loved it yeah i love the story behind it too um whereas i didn't really research which one i was going to get <laughs> so i just bought one yeah right metal springs um mm. small one mm -hmm. but it, um so I learned this at the cryotherapy, like we, I mentioned yeah. this earlier, but this is where I saw it, where they had this cryotherapy and then they had this kind of, it was actually quite fun. They had all these big balls that you could kick around after you come out of the, the cryotherapy thing. It's <laughs> this massive kind of like um, you know, exercise balls that you yeah. could play with and you could kick and you could hit with, with certain bouncy things. <laughs> and then they had all these rebounders and they had like a trail of them. So you could jump from rebounder to rebounder yes, and some actually went into great. the wall. And so you could have this, and it's awesome. You get out of the ice, and you kind of like you're a bit, you know, and you want to move. And yes. then, you know, obviously they do it because it's really good to rebound after cold exposure. And it gets the lymphatic system moving, yep. and it, it, you know, sort of starts to activate everything, mm. and it also distracts you a bit from that process. And the kidneys also really like movement after cold exposure. So when you get those moving in any way, shape, or form, it's a good thing. So uh, bouncing is great, but mm -hmm. then I think that element of distraction where you're like bouncing to certain destinations, and you, you're <laughs> able to do tricks and stuff that that was awesome. So we always associate it with that, like, yeah, ice, ice and rebounder. Um, and I know Tony Robbins, who's kind yeah. of the biggest sort of proponent of rebounders probably out there. Mm -hmm. he, he's the same with, with his cryotherapy and his ice bath. He's, he's big into it. So I'm pretty sure he combines it too. Well, I haven't heard him say that, but I, I think so. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah. So that's kind of what I, when I was designing my home setup, I was like, you know, I need the ice and the rebounder. They're, yeah. they're, they're definitely <laughs> a part of, of the equation. Are there padded walls there in the cryo place? Are they, are they soft somehow? No, there was actually no. You know when you go to those big bouncing castles, those big oh, bouncing yes. places. Yeah, yeah. There's like they're kind of like square. There's like trampolines that I think they had those. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> I actually, <laughs> I'd like to go back there. It was actually quite a cool spot. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cryotherapy is, is is interesting. Yeah. Last thing on your routine it was really the first one. Um, you know, sunlight. That's a really interesting one. I I don't know why. I can't quite remember why I got into breatharianism and, mm. you know, the, the interest on understanding that. I think it was just a fascination that I, I do and still believe that, and I did believe that you, your mind can create whatever it wants, including mm. everything necessary for the body or can run the body in a way that you don't need food and, then you, you know, many other things maybe also not. And there was a connection to actually um, sun gazing, you know, mm. and of course everyone has to sort that out themselves and, and, and figure out whether that's safe or not. But I started, I lived in Auckland at the time and there are over 50 volcanoes in, in Auckland. None of them are active, but, um, you know, you can go on the very top and then watch the sunrise. And so I had, wherever I would house, house it, there was one or two in, in, in the close vicinity. So I would run up there That's and, so um, good. 
Yeah, it is very good. It's a beautiful city, really. And and watch the sunrise. And I would start with 10 seconds. And then next day, I would do 20 seconds. And then next day, I would do just 30 seconds of watching and looking into the sun up to just over half an hour is how long I would look into the sun. And yeah, right. it was never a problem. Like, you know, other people would say, oh, you know, it hurts my eyes. And well, you know, if you do this in the middle of the day, yes. And mm -hmm. But when when you train your eyes to that, you know, as I said, like, you know, not recommending it to any, anyone because it can be really it can be really harmful but personally it was the best thing ever and i right. would lie in bed that night remembering what it was like to see the the sun coming up over the horizon and the whole brain felt on fire and in a beautiful oh. way and and lit up like i could just uh, the, the imagination and the memory of what happens when i see the first sunlight was so ingrained in me because you have to do this for a long time to get up to 30 30 minutes yeah um it was the best thing ever. And so I never got into breatharianism, <laughs> but I do know that the energy that comes from the sun is something that I really relate to and I'm saying many do. So my question to you, is there a particular reason? Is it just literally vitamin D level or is it also sort of your, your rhythm in general? Or why, why do you do that? Yeah, I think there's, there's a multitude of reasons. Like, um, I mean, I, I test my, my blood markers and, and vitamin D is chronically low even though I do take it. How often do you test, by the way? It's not, not that consistent yeah, with but, it. But like know, quarter, at, at, quarter? At least every six months. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. when there was a time when I was doing a bit more intensive stuff and it was like every three months. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But it, and, and it was just chronically low, like regardless of how much I would, you know, use the little droplets or the little sprays and things. So it was, you can always have more vitamin D. And mm -hmm. that's the general advice that I've heard from smart enough people to say such things. It's like, <laughs> you don't even need to test people. Like yeah. Everybody's low in vitamin D. Yeah. You can just prescribe it <laughs> immediately. Um, so that, that was definitely one of my motivations to just seek out more natural ways of, of, of creating that. And then I, when I was in, this was when I was living in Bali, there was um, some interesting conversation that I haven't really been able to trace, but I had this whole discussion with a Swedish guy about vitamin D farming. And he had developed this whole thing. And he said it was like a big community and there was people that were doing vitamin D farming. And so they would get into ice and then they would lay in the sun. Like literally they would lay in ice all together in a big round pool and then they would lay in the grass. And apparently he had this story about, yeah, it increases your vitamin D uptake by like 400%. Mm. And it kind of made sense to me. Mm -hmm. I was like, yeah, I, I don't understand it, but it makes sense. <laughs> so I believed that and I was like, okay, I'm going to get into the ice and I'm going to rebound or do something in the sun afterwards. And I kind of kept that up ever since and yeah. I sort of chased it up. I haven't found any research that it actually works <laughs> that way, but I still I still kind of uphold the myth and yeah. one day I'll go to Sweden and, and, and seek him out. Awesome. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of the, the sun practice for me. And, and what I do now, I also, I, I, I just got um, a red light therapy device. Great. So I got the, I got the juve mm -hmm. eventually. Um, and I sort of use that as a, as a daily practice too now. And, and it, it makes a lot of sense because there's certain areas of your body that don't get enough sunlight and then you know, everything's meant to get sunlight at least. And so you can probably imagine which parts I'm talking about, but I, I put them in front of the red light device. And yes. And if yeah. I think about it that way, like in, 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 you know, living in Sydney most of the time, like I'm, I'm, I'm getting more red light than 95% of people, right? Because mm. I'm using it in this mm. external way mm. and because I'm going out in the morning and, and with the sun gazing and, and the sunlight, I actually, I actually try and stay away from, from too much. So I try not to do anything that's between like, yeah, you could almost say like 10 and four. Yeah. You know, I get little bits and pieces, like 10 minutes at a time. It just feels really good, but not, not much more. But then in the morning and in the afternoon, when those UV rays are meant yeah. to be that specific therapeutic sort of range, I, I try and get out. Yeah. Because um, I couldn't stare into the sun at one o'clock. That would, that would really hurt me, I think. <laughs> but in the morning, it, it seems doable. And, and yeah, I think what you were saying really touched me in a way, too, because I've had those moments when you watch the sunrise in the morning and you can just you really see it and it really leaves this imprint on your consciousness almost. Yeah. Like it's almost like it sticks with you Definitely, through the day yeah. and, and you know i'd like to think that that then also takes through maybe into your dreams or, or maybe into just the sleep yeah. realm the unconscious you know because it's processing the information eventually so maybe it just sets you up for like a good night's dreaming um, <laughs> was kind of what i got from that if not anything else for sure yeah yeah <laughs> hey before i ask you the question that i ask everyone um who comes on the, onto the show um sunscreen and sun Sunglasses. Is that mm. something that you do personally? I, I, I don't know enough about it to um yeah. to give any any form well, not of advice. But just in terms of what you personally do. Yeah, I I, I I tend to avoid sunscreen. I've got a couple of tattoos that I, I, I do use it on. I use a natural sort of blocker when I get longer into the sunlight. Okay. But apart from that, no. And so one of the theories that I'm sort of 
just testing on myself at the moment, maybe it's crazy, yeah. is that the red light device would potentially help you build more resistance to sunlight mm -hmm. and to sunburns. Um, so using light on yourself consistently will help your body be more able to deal with that. And I'm at the moment kind of openly testing that and, and yeah. putting that out there by not using sunscreen. Yeah. Um, you know, under the basis that I, I'd prefer to avoid things like that on my skin, yeah. if possible. Yeah, I'll let you know how uh, we we just released a new product which includes and includes near infrared as well as, as as red light therapy and we're doing some tests on that and also some research and it would be interesting to see i, I know that like the preliminary research definitely shows that you know for men the testosterone levels really increase within 30 yes. days you know and that's that's that will be probably for 50 percent of the motivation that i bought it <laughs> yeah right you know it's a good thing yeah, yeah just yeah. for your bone density alone and what 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 have you <laughs> absolutely absolutely <laughs> as for the sunglasses i um i i tend not to i tend not to yeah. use them. i have my blue light blockers in, in mm. the evening sure. and, and that makes a lot of sense yep. to me whereas the sunglasses i yeah yeah i, I tend to avoid I'm a bit passionate about it. I, I read a couple of medical articles about the photo uh, sensors in the in the in the eyes and mm. how they actually regulate how how strong um, you 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 change color of, of your skin. So um, you know if if you actually block the strength of the sunlight with with your sunglasses, what I saw is that you know it means also that that your skin is not res resilient to the sun sunlight. I'm, oh. I'm sure officially you you know. No, no one should be advised to do that but like for me personally that's that's what i experienced and ever since i haven't used sunglasses yeah yeah it's wow mm. no it is a sensitive topic i think also you know where we live here in yeah, australia lots it's, of um, melanoma, melanoma, yeah. it's it's certainly a problem it's yeah. certainly an issue so it's, it's a very sensitive topic yeah but you know open i think open for honest discussion at least an yeah. inquiry it should be that's so it that's well you know you can experiment with your own body you just shouldn't suggest it to anyone else i guess yeah cool hey just to round this up, even though I would love to talk and geek out on, on so many more <laughs> little topics, um, what are the three things that get you out of bed in the morning? Well, you just described your routine, but you know, sort of like the motivational ones that, that come up at the moment. I'm sure it changes over time. Yeah, actually, light, huh. um, I would say, yep. does come up. Huh. Um, and, and part of the reason is if I don't use light, I have a hard time getting up. Um, so when I get up, I, I, I my, my brain's just going, seek out light. <laughs> Yeah, seek out light. Get yeah. out there, and it, and I know that it helps me wake up better, and helps to. It's almost the opposite of that phone effect, where that reactivity. Uh -huh. Getting out into light seems to not do that. Yeah. So seek out light is one of the first things that comes to mind. Um, build a day, and and part of that is that I, I every evening I've done this for quite a long time is is to write down exactly what I'm going to do the next day beforehand so in the evening ah. when i get to bed i will journal for a bit yeah and it usually just looks like me putting some affirmations okay some just telling myself i love myself basically yeah and then writing out a very detailed plan like, i kind of need this for structure so i go very detailed like you know at 6 a.m tomorrow morning you're doing xyz and then at 7 you're doing this and it's sort of and it seems to just imprint this into my morning waking um and part of what i write down is actually you're going to wake up with a smile and then you're going to have the most beautiful glass of water and you're going to have this <laughs> you're going to feel amazing and it's going to be awesome and it kind of when i wake up i go oh, yeah, you did write that down so go and do that <laughs> <laughs> and then i think yeah, on, on, a, on a bigger level it's um how can i make an impact and, and how can i improve my own life so that others can can benefit from that too yeah right how can i be better yeah what's your favorite thing at the moment to do my favorite thing to do um i really enjoy taking people into nature yeah yeah so i take lots of people in, into ice baths and into, into different breathing workshops and, and things yeah. like that but taking people out into you know the snow is, is a really special adventure so next year we're taking people to japan to new zealand um, very cool places here in australia yeah and just seeking it out i'm going to climb Mount kilimanjaro in africa myself and i've wow. got all these big things planned so uh, that's really a big motivator for me. That's one of my favorite things to do is to um, to sort of take it to the next level. Mm. And not that I'm a great guide or anything like that, but I just enjoy having that role where I, I take people into these places that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, and just see the way that it, that they respond to it. Yeah, well, it's really infectious if someone is so excited about something. You know, that is a great guide. Mm. <laughs> mm. And um, last question: Why do you think that humans and us exist? Mm. Yeah, that's, that's that's a great question. Um, I'd like to say, and it's, I don't know if it's my opinion or if it's things that I've picked up along the way, but I'd like to say it does have something to do with love. And I think love has got something to do with potential. You know, it says that God created the world for us because he saw the potential and he saw what could be. And he made that manifest. And 
I like to think that that's what we're all here to do, is to make our potential manifest and how we can bring that out in others, mm -hmm. right? So it's about me seeing the potential in you and seeing the potential in the community and, and bringing that out. And that I think is love. I think that's Viktor Frankl, um, German, uh, wrote a beautiful book and he wrote about, yeah, all that suffering, but how it all comes back to seeing potential in others and how to bring out love. And I thought that was quite a good definition. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Do you remember that book name? Yeah, definitely, Men's Search for Meaning. Yes. Amazing, yeah. yeah. He um, created logotherapy in a concentration camp and, and he wrote out, yeah, he, he kept it all in his mind and he ended up using it, almost using it, as he almost became his own, his own example of how the therapy could work because he lived through, I think, about three, four years in a concentration camp. And the most you know, imaginable horrors available to mankind and he survived. He counseled even his guards, hey? Did he not own, he counseled other, other... I think he became somewhat of a doctor and, and ended up, you know, talking to people and helping people. But, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's quite an incredible story. Yeah, Just the, the, thanks. The, the chance of the whole thing, right, mm -hmm. and how, mm -hmm. how openly he writes about it. That, that book really does continue to have an impact on me, mm -hmm. I think. And I think he writes at some point in the book um, a definition for love, which is, yeah, it's to see the greater potential in others. Yeah. And to get out of your own way to, to help that come out, to show them, right? To be that mirror. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing. My pleasure, man. Yeah, man. Well, so good to have you here. I hope I see you again. I'm sure there's so much more that we can uh, uncover or you can share. So thanks for, for making the time. Looking forward to see you again. Absolutely. Me awesome. too, man. Guys, thank you so much for listening to The Sauna Show. My name is Sebastian Mirau, and this episode was sponsored by Clearlight Jacuzzi Saunas the world's leading provider of superior quality, full-spectrum infrared saunas. You can find more information and resources for this podcast at thesaunashow.com, all one word, or on Instagram at thesaunashow. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share this episode with friends. Until next time, have the best day ever.